Hello, this is Jesse Weiler from Ida Ramos Bulletin. Today I sat down with Abbot Austin Murphy, who is the abbot of St. Procopius Abbey in Lyle, Illinois, and talked to him about his recent article in Ida Ramos Bulletin. That article is titled, Pandemic Idol Worship, Religious Structures, and the Redemption of Free Time. This is a wonderful article about how the rule of St. Benedict can help us build structures in our own life. So without further ado, another Ida Ramos interview. Abbott, how are you doing this morning? Good, very well. How about you, Jesse? I'm doing well. The weather's starting to get really nice, so I'm starting to get hopeful that winter is behind us. But as a Midwestern resident, I understand that I could never have that feeling and that it's always behind me. And we'll see how mm-hmm. it goes in the next couple of weeks. That's right. Uh, I am very excited about this article that you wrote for Adorama's Bulletin. And of course, uh, you know, professionally, you and I have been talking about some of these things for a while now, and I'm so excited to see kind of uh, it, it formulate into some really nice ideas and concepts. And I absolutely love this idea of using the rule of St. Benedict to help, uh, you know, inform and enrich our lives, especially in the domestic church, as I can speak for somebody with a with a family. And I, I mean, obviously, the benefits go well beyond the domestic church, but just for all laity in general, so that we can learn from those structures and bring them into our lives. But I think the really cool thing here is that you were able to target something that we're all experiencing right now, which is a, a newfound uh, idleness <laughs> because of the pandemic, where we have maybe more time on our hands. And hopefully, obviously, that will be going away soon, but not before we learn how to use that time uh, appropriately. So first, I, I just want to start at the very beginning. Where, does this, where did this concept come to mind for you? How did you think about this uh, idleness in our lives in regard to the pandemic? And and what made you think, oh, we really need to look at this the right way before we get kind of carried away as humanity? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, there's a few different factors that uh, played into this. One, um, as you know, Jesse, one of the topics I like to think about is uh, how structures are helpful in the spiritual life. So that's been thinking a lot about that. And then when this pandemic hit, uh, you had people commenting. I know people talking to me about how they really needed to put in structures, whether it was in work or their or their uh, family life, because things were just going a little bit crazy. You know, like, for example, all the kids were home. They didn't have to go to school. And therefore, you know, it's kind of, you know, chaos. They're not waking up at certain times and they're doing this, that. So that also I know I heard from some workplaces or people at their workplaces saying, you know, with all the video conferencing and telephoning and not being limited by being in a space, you know, there were people were not following kind of just basic things like late at night, either as I also have a video conference here or let's, you know, so they needed to be putting some structures in about when and what would be appropriate and so forth. So that was very interesting. Another thing, too, I remember seeing an article, I think it was from a, uh, I can't remember which uh, religious order, but it's a, of contemplative nuns, I think it was in New Jersey, published article, you know, um, you're, you have to stay home, you're on uh, stay-at-home orders. Well, we do this all the time. Here are some uh, <laughs> things you can learn about this. And, uh, and it basically was like the appreciation of a structured life and how the rhythm of it and how this is good. So that all uh, played in. The other thing that occurred to me kind of early on is um, uh, kind of an idea of uh, boredom. You know, so now that we're stuck at home, or we were stuck at home, especially those those first months, 
what do you do with boredom? Is boredom can boredom be constructive? And then I thought of uh, Saint Ignatius Loyola. He just became this kind of his conversion story became something I kept thinking about and meditating on. It's something that we could identify with in this pandemic. So. Um, yeah, uh, you know, his basic conversion story of being uh, a worldly man who's uh, a soldier, injured, laid up in bed and having nothing to do while laid up in bed and how that actually became a constructive experience for him, leading God use that to lead him to conversion. So, um, as you know, that's all kind of uh, Loyola, uh, St. Nation Loyola features heavily in the, um, in the article. So it's, um, those are all things that kind of came together and trying to think through with the help of the role of St. Benedict and what St. Benedict says about idle time uh, and how this can uh, be a good or a bad thing. So I have a lot of questions about this, but but first of all, at Adoramus, we really like to understand the sacramental nature of things. And, and as you and I both know, that anything within the purview of God, within his domain, which is everything, can be sanctified. And one of those things that that is really evidently sanctified, especially in the religious life, is time. And so... Obviously, the sanctification process takes something that is chaotic and turns it into order. So can you, you know, uh, ex- expand on that a little about how this is actually, you know, when we get this extra time or we see this idleness and we choose to build structures in order, how that's actually sanctifying not only ourselves, but but time itself? Yeah, that, that's, that's well put. Just a question, I think, helps uh, towards an answer. And yeah, that, you know. So what is I, you know, one of the things I do in the article is that I suggest that one way of understanding idleness as in the way St. Benedict talks about it in the role is uh, as free time. And um, if time is too free in a way, it does become chaotic. You don't get things done. Uh, as I mentioned in the article, it's a common experience of people who have either habitual sin or addictions. Idleness becomes a real source of temptation. So uh, kind of some bad tendencies creep back in. And um, so, yeah, needing the structure and order it in uh, the way God is intended um, is crucial. So, yeah, and the liturgy, the hours, the divine office, especially uh, in the monastic life, but, uh, you know, open to uh, the whole church and, uh, you know, the practice and, yeah, sanctifying that day. So uh, ordering in a way kind of it's kind of like touchstones. You're, you're kind of coming back to what's most important, coming back to God and ordering our lives is uh, such that all we do is an offering to God um, and can be pleasing to God. So these points throughout the day, reminding us of that, getting us back on that plane, so to speak, um, is so crucial. And as you said, it it does structure and order uh, our everyday lives and therefore allows us, you know, in that ebb and flow with the liturgy, if we bring our, our, our lives to the liturgy, we also go forth from the liturgy in order to live a life that reflects the praise and worship and thanksgiving that we do in the liturgy. So how do we actually, in a practical way, go about doing this, especially when um, those this, the sacraments aren't as readily available to us? I mean, a lot of us in the country are obviously, you know, getting more and more access to some of those things, um, especially here. But there are parts of the country and the world who are still in tight lockdown. So how, how do we build those structures and how do we sanctify that time? Uh, when we don't have as uh, as great access to the sacraments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a real challenge. Uh, in some ways, the things we're talking about point out the tragedy um, of that, of that uh, the limitation of the sacraments and the mass. 
and it's not to point blame or get into arguments about whether it's what was done is right. It's just it is a tragedy either way, uh, either however you see it. And um, yeah, one thing is to, you know, it's not ideal, but if you cannot get the mass, the mass is the anchor of our lives. And so if you can't get the mass to do the live streaming thing, it's not as good as in person. I understand that. Um, but to do it, and I would just to make a couple recommendations is, um, you know, it's, and I think some people have, uh, have talked about this in greater detail, but, you know, don't make it just a viewing thing like you're watching sports or some show on Netflix, obviously, but, uh, but to actually choose, um, choose a live mass, uh, you know, it's, it's not bad to watch a recorded mass. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But um, if you can find a time where you can actually uh, have a live, a true live stream, then you can realize that in a way you can enter into the mass in a way um, that even though you can't receive communion not being there, you are witnessing the, uh, the and you can enter into this act of offering the Lord in the Eucharist and offering yourself with the Lord. And so um, in some ways, this weird situation can make us think about what we're supposed to be doing in a, in a true sense of active participation in the Mass and try to uh, do as much as we can if we're, uh, well, we're there, so to speak, virtually with an actual Mass going on so that the, the Lord is there. It's not a recording of the Lord having been there, but the Lord is there uh, being presented to us through this uh, the medium. Um, so again, not as good, but the, I would encourage that so they actually participating in the Mass that way. The other things are the, the liturgy of the hours is a, is a great benefit um, and you know, part of the, the larger liturgical life of the church. And to really take advantage of that, there's you know, some of the common entry points for that is sometimes people will start with something uh, a little more simple, like Compline at the end of the day. This is sometimes a, a good way to get going. Um, the other way is to um, look at the two major offices in the, in the liturgy, uh, morning prayer or lauds or evening prayer and vespers, and either choose one of those or do both of those, one at the beginning of the day, one towards the end, because um, those have such important themes in uh, the liturgical life in them, uh, each one being a little bit different, just uh, different emphases in their themes, but um, just really to enrich our lives and you know, doing the things we're supposed to be doing, um, as we were saying before. So... Yep. You know, this was easy for easier for religious to maybe mm-hmm. enter into a pandemic. And once things start, you know, opening up again, I think it's going to be easier for religious to continue doing what they've always been doing. How do we then create those structures that are sustainable once things start flooding back into our lives? Because, you know, I think that that gradual busyness will start to come back into our lives and and we'll start to lose some of those structures. So how do we make sure that those structures have solid roots in our routine, in our lives? Yeah. Yeah, this is, you're right. Um, Some common things that are um, helpful things that can help uh, with um, common common situations is that like finding time for prayer. So just to start with like private prayer, um, it's, you know, doing it early in the morning is often helpful. I'm not a morning person, but I still, if I don't do it in the morning, the day will go by. It's get harder and harder to find that slot of time. The other thing, too, even if you don't do it in the morning, is to do it um, the first thing after something. All right, because uh, let's say you stop for a meal. Let's say it's lunch. Before you do anything else, the first thing, I'm going to spend some time in prayer after, after lunch. Uh, sometimes just having that marker 
in your day, like the first thing I'm going to do after this, I won't let, I won't start checking my phone. I won't start going back to my uh, emails. Um, that sometimes gives you a spot to get it in. Um, those are very important. As a like domestic church, um, praying as a family, uh, a, a rosary together is just a well time tested thing that helps. Um, of course, the challenge, and I won't. You can speak more of this, Jesse, and me. The challenge is getting all your kids uh, together at the same time. And um, and honestly, I, I'm not experienced in that challenge, so I won't, <laughs> I won't <laughs> pretend to be able to add too much to it. Um, but I know families do it, I, and, and you know whether it's once a week they do it, a Friday rosary, uh, even once a month, if not every day. So um, that also some quick formula, formulaic prayers. Um, doing stuff like a meal together, is, you know, would have been uh, no big deal in the past, but our, our life is so hectic, even getting that in. But, you know, stopping, getting together, doing some prayer at the beginning of the meal, and then having the structure of a meal itself uh, is very helpful. So those are just some, some basic things and um yeah, not to put you on the spot, Jesse, but if you have some things from your experience, too, that's, that'd be fascinating as well. Well, it's funny that you, you say that. Actually, you know, we did for Lent this year, uh, we did two things. One, uh, my three-year-old and my five-year-old learned the pater noster. And so, so we, we do that uh, often now. And in fact, one of the things we decided to do for Lent is, aside from giving something up and all of that, but we decided to do a decade of the rosary every night before bed. And then towards the end of Lent, when, when, we, were became, when we were in the Easter season, I asked my kids, I was like, hey, do you guys want to do this decade every night? Because before that, we would just do, you know, a Hail Mary, Our Father, we kind of say our individual prayers. And they said, well, we've been, <laughs> we've been doing this through Lent. I mean, why not? Like, let's keep doing this. We really like it. What's more is at the Easter vigil, my daughter, we do a litany of saints every night with all of our, our patron saints, and um, my wife is expecting right now, so we, we add St. Saint, Saint Gerard there. And at the Easter vigil, my daughter Agnes heard them chanting or singing the litany of saints, and she remembered something I told her about singing the prayers or chanting the prayers as, as an elevated or a better type of way to pray. And so she said, Dad, Dad, can we sing the litany? And so now that's something. So it was, it's actually really cool to see that, you know, enter into our lives and then create kind of that stability. Now we do that decade of the rosary every night. Uh, Agnes does the Ten Hail Marys. Isaac does the Pater Noster and the Glory Be. And we have a structure. Maybe next Lent, we add another decade or we do the full rosary or we start to do some of these things to start you know, continue that in our lives. And so I do think uh, it, it's just like habits, right? You, you know, if you do something for 30 or 40 days, it becomes more habitual. And so I found that especially during Lent, that was a good time for us to start a new, you know, sacramental habit for us. And, and I think eventually, yeah, I would love to do maybe some morning prayer or evening prayer things. But uh, I, I think the other thing is not to aim to do too much because you have to do something that's reasonable and practical. But I, you know, I ask these questions about, you know, continuing the structures because I am legitimately concerned <laughs> because as uh, my kids start to get more involved with sports and activities and, the, and things start opening up more, those things, oh, we, we couldn't do that tonight because Agnes had baseball practice or something, you know? So it just it becomes more and more difficult. But, you know, I think that sincerity, I think the, probably the best thing you can do is have that sincerity of prayer to God and to the Holy Spirit to, to help you stay true to that. And 
that there's something really true to that, I think. And um, I, I don't know what your experience are like with the people, the laity that are involved with your, with your community. I think you have oblates, right? So ha- have they been able to maybe incorporate some of that? Yeah, yeah. I, I just to emphasize some of the points you made, it's very good. Is um, one is that yeah, don't don't try to uh, bite off more than you can chew because that, that won't help. And you know, be practical. And you know what Saint Francis uh, de Sales says in Devout Life: you you got to find stuff that fits your vocation. You know, a form of devotion that fits your vocation. So, yeah, the monks can do certain things that um, if you're trying to juggle a family life, it's not going to work. So that's a very good point. Um, and like I said, the sincerity, the intention of the heart, that um, those are all the, the key things you're trying to cultivate. The other thing, too, the th- uh, th- is just the liturgical calendar itself. You know, you mentioned the season of Lent, but also observances of memorials um, and uh, feast days. That itself is like a tool, uh, kind of a launching ground you can use. And whether it's, you know, just simple things, but they're, but they're reminders. But structures sometimes work simply as reminders. Um, they're keeping in mind certain things. So... It might be at, the, you know, um, whoever's cooking is going to do some kind of, uh, you know, there's cookbooks out there that commemorate the saints. So you might mm-hmm. do some kind of recipe that matches that day or matches that season. My so, favorite um, is the yeah. uh, Drinking with the Saints book. Yeah, that drink. one. <laughs> that's that's right. the good one. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but, yeah. I, no, I agree. I, I one, one example I give of this is uh, I, I love to use the example of uh, St. Lawrence. And so, you know, his feast day is in August every year. It's a wonderful time to maybe have uh, a gathering or a get-together. And, and the example I give is St. Lawrence is because he was, uh, he was uh, grilled alive <laughs> at the stake. And at, at the time, he said uh, that, you know, they asked him if he was going to convert and all of that. And he said, I'm done on this side. Turn me over. So two things he's the patron of chefs and and uh, barbecue chefs and comedians so my idea was on his feast day every every year in august you can have a big cookout and then at the end of the night after dinner you have a joke telling contest and whoever wins gets a little trophy and you and suddenly this, this becomes a family tradition and then you know maybe 10 20 years down the road my son isaac asked me hey dad do you you, you have that uh barbecue recipe we used to do growing up you know and so that's a way of letting the liturgical uh, calendar uh, enrich a, a, a sacramental life as well. And so not just the rule of Benedict, but, you know, the liturgical calendar itself. And, and my, last, my last question as we wrap up here is, as a Benedictine, uh, what is that specific charism that, that really holds true to this whole idea of, you know, building a structured life? Uh, what is it about St. Benedict and his rule that should really compel us to give this a shot and to really work at this? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, a few things. I mean, one thing, it, I think, it's just it's time. Uh, the, the, it's lasted the test of time. And, you know, not only monks, but uh, lay people in different ways have found this helpful. Um, it's also very practical and, and a certain uh, sane. It's not, um, you know, if you, if you look at some of the things, <clears throat> you know, praying, uh the, all 150 psalms in a week and seem like rigorous, all that. Uh, but even for that time, though, it wasn't as rigorous as some other forms. So um, it's just practical. So it, it gets back to just um, the idea of don't try to do too much. The idea is to be virtuous, right? So cultivating your heart, doing things that are actually going to give you life, right? So one of the things I talk about uh, in the article is, um, you know, there's certain things that are uh, life-sustaining that, 
kind of activities we need to do. And so our structure should help us do that. And so you don't have to be crazy. They don't have to be, um, sometimes it be hard and challenging, but they don't have to be over the top. It shouldn't be. Um, and just the steadiness of life, right? Some of the most beautiful things in life are just in the steady, everyday kind of living of things. And so this gives room and space uh, for us to experience that. Well, I really appreciate this article. Really uh, well written. And uh, I'm so excited to share this with some of my other Catholic friends. And if you want to read the full article, you can go to autoramus.org. Abbott, Austin Murphy, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Jesse. I appreciate it. God bless. God bless.